Today we're going to talk about what's wrong with religion. What's wrong with the religion? Because there's something very big wrong with the religion if we look at what it has produced in so many people's lives. Now I want to define religion before we start. If we think uh, religion is just Christianity or even the message where we trust upon Jesus to save us, then I want to say that is not religion. Religion, the way I define religion, is man's effort to try and please God. I define religion as man's effort to try and please God or man's effort to try and preserve his life through spiritual principles. Um, <clears throat> there is something very big wrong with religion that we're going to talk about today. Now, I want to read um, the from the Message Translation a very well-known passage from Matthew 11 and verse 28. It says, Are you tired, worn out, and burnt out on religion? Come to me, and I will give, <coughs> sorry, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. I read again. Are you tired and worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, <clears throat> and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Isn't that absolutely powerful? It is so beautiful. Jesus comes and he stretches out his hand to those who are worn out and burnt out on religion, who has well, he actually, what's written here, he says, get away with me and you will recover your life. In other words, you can lose your life through religion. Through religion. You can actually lose your life in trying to preserve your life. That's exactly what Jesus Christ has said. Those who want to save their lives will lose their lives. But those who lose their life for his sake will save their lives. So you can lose your life in trying to save your life by your own works. Now religion does have a big problem and the problem that I found with religion is that it's powerless. It doesn't have power to save man. If I look at church, just church in general, and <coughs> you guys must understand that I use examples, uh, church examples a lot because that is what I am busy with every day of my life. That is the circles wherein I move. But we can take these examples and we can use it in any area of our life, in any business or anything. But if you look at church, one can have a wonderful strategy in how to grow a church. And that church can grow very fast and can become very big and it can reach many people. But if that strategy is a religious strategy, in other words, a human effort strategy wherein we follow principles to grow our church and to, to reach people so that we can feel that we are obeying God or whatever the reason would be, you would find that that church, inside that church, there is so much argument, so much fighting, so much backbiting, and all of those things going on there, that, it, um, th that there is no life there. It is just a destruction again. It is not, it's like defeating the object. You are not getting what you really want. You want people to be saved. You want people to have life and peace. And yet on the other side, you find that even in that church structure, there is no life and peace. <clears throat> we find the same with business. The moment we chase after money, the moment we run after a thing so hard and we give our whole life for it, you will find that you can make money, but you've got no peace. You've got no joy. It destroys your life. So, uh, because you're following certain principles. I've even seen in the tithing and sowing and reaping message. You'll find many people believe a lot of the grace message, but when it comes to the message of finances, it's almost as if there is a little bit of a fear, because if I grab a hold of true freedom, I mean, up to now, I did have money, and <coughs> the money that I've had, you know, was through this system, and now I'm so scared to change the system, because then I'm not, uh, my future might not be secure. And then this person continues to live in fear. And you don't really get free because you're, 
a financial future is all caught up in what, you've, what you are doing for God. Now, I wanna, today's teaching can be a little bit technical, so uh, just uh, you know, s- stick with me. I want to, before I get into that, you know, I've <clears throat> just give you an example of religion. When I just got saved, I bought myself this little Bible. This I bought, this was, well, I wasn't Bible school. This was bought on the 25th of January, 1993. It's a leather-bound King James. That was when I just got the revelation that the King James Bible is the one that God read himself and the one that Moses read. (coughs) And uh, um, back then, I don't know why it was like that, but the smaller your Bible was, the more spiritual you were because you could put it in your pocket and you could evangelize. It was like a sign of a street evangelist in some way that wins souls. So (laughs) I went and I bought this Bible. I tell you, the print is so small that it came with a magnifying glass. <laughs> so I would read this with a magnifying glass because I couldn't, can't read normally, n- normally read this. And um, as I was sitting here, I looked at what I wrote in the front of this Bible. <clears throat> and this was a time when I was still working hard, trying to serve the Lord. And this is the things that I wrote in here. I, I wrote, I said, ask God to make you hungry for him. That's what, well, that was one of my prayers. I had a list here of nine things that I prayed. And I put in this Bible and I said here, ask God to make you hungry for him. Ask God to give you a will to war. That's what I wrote there. <laughs> um, there were some things were good. said, ask, um, ask him to know the Holy Spirit in person. Ask for a heart of compassion. And there's a beautiful one here that says, let the motive be people and not the power. And then ask for a spirit of prayer and praise and worship. Um, ask God to teach you obedience and ask God that you might believe in him. So there are some things that I wrote in here which, which, and I thank God that he wasn't legalistic about how I prayed, but he could see my heart and he answered my prayers. But uh, although God wasn't legalistic towards me, my approach was also very legalistic and law-based. And in that time, I was going through some very difficult times. I was feeling that something's wrong with me. What's wrong with me? Because I would pray, I would fast, I would do whatever I need to do, but at the end of the day, you would still do that sin that you think you should not do, or you would lose your temper, or you will feel that you have not done. You know, the law is always like this. You're never good enough. And I would feel that I'm not good enough, and it would leave me with with a, a feeling of, why, what's wrong with me? Why am I not good enough? I mean, if, you, if I can just see, that's just by the size of the print of this Bible, that you start to just lose, um, and I mean, it's not as if, I mean, my eyesight maybe has gone down a little bit as I become a bit older, uh, but I mean, even back then, I struggled to read this. Why would it be like that? Why would you do something like that? It's not, uh, you're not rational anymore. It's all because religion starts to mess you up. Religion starts to make you that you don't think straight anymore. Religion puts things in such so in, in boxes that you cannot think outside of that box to reach anybody. And everything is about right and wrong. And I'm going to tell you, one can be very religious about the grace message as well. Uh, you know, if it's, it's not about what grace stands for. It's about... Um, articulating everything correctly. That can also be a religious thing that destroys people's lives <clears throat> and breaks up relationships and so forth. But if I look at this, um, you know, I, I look at this and I don't feel ashamed. I just thank God that he could break through my darkness and he saw the passion in my heart and he just want, he saw his child, wants to know more about him. And he did send people over my path and I got a hold of the grace message. But I can now, when I, especially when I read these things, I, could, I remember how, uh, how I wrote that and how I thought in my heart, man, I'm going to pray these nine things every day. And I've still got some of my old Bibles where I would write things in. <clears throat> and I would think this is a wonderful method. If I just pray this every day, then it's going to work. At the end of the day, I just became more tired and more tired and more tired. Why? Because religion, oh yeah, just by the way, <clears throat> This is the Bible I read now, you know, a little bit bigger one. So, um, the, it, that's just because of eyesight, that's all. But anyway, what I want to say is, when we're religious, we find that 
our minds get to a place where we, where we don't think straight. We just want to fall into the next law, the next thing. And when we look at, look at Colossians and um, Colossians 2 and verse 23, I'm just going to read this just quickly and we're going to get through the whole passage to get to this. But this is what it says. It says, These things indeed have a reputation of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and severity on the body, but are not of any value against the indulgence of the flesh. Now what he's saying here is, <clears throat> self-imposed religion, now self-imposed religion he defines here as false humility, severity on the body. Severity on the body, where you think you're going to beat your body um, by fasting, you're going to beat your body by putting your body through difficult times, and where you think that your body is just a worthless thing and a sinful thing. He says there, those things and false humility, and when false humility, now I, I don't even want to explain that, but you can think for yourself, a very religious person that, is, that says he's very humble, but he's not humble. He thinks he's better than other people because he prays more, he fasts more, he does more, he, he, wears, he, he believes he behaves better than others, just like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the Sadducees. He says, those things has got one problem, and that is, that it's got no value against the indulgence of the flesh. What that means is, it cannot conquer death. And it cannot conquer sin in the flesh. It cannot stop sin to, it cannot stop sin in your life. It cannot set you free from bondage. It doesn't have the power to do that. Self-imposed religion, in other words, <coughs> your nine-point plan, what you think you need to do to get a breakthrough in town, what you think you need to do to get the country to repent, or what you think you need to do in order to prosper or have a breakthrough or whatever, those things are called self-imposed religion. That self-imposed religion is always go goes with false humility. It goes with things like uh, uh, beating your body, depriving yourself of things. You know, I, I will put myself through a hard time so that I can kind of purify myself and show through willpower that I can get somewhere. It's also called will worship. Will worship, where you, where you serve God with willpower and where it is not an uh, overflow of love. This morning in our service I said, uh, <clears throat> love, if there's love in a marriage, that marriage will be healthy. If the husband just really loves his wife, and I believe, I mean, it comes from both sides, but I think a lot of it starts with the husband. If you just love your wife from the depth of your heart, and you, when you look at her, you can look at her with, with, when you see her, you say, she's beautiful to me, I love her. You think of, you know, she's, she's, she's raised your kids, she's helped you, she's assisted you. I, um, this afternoon I said to Elena, man, we've, We've been married so long and we've walked such a long path together. You know, I was, I was just looking at her and there's inside my heart respect for her when I said that to her. When that is in a marriage, that marriage will always last. It will always be good. You will not have to go through a five-point plan on how to try and understand the other one. That love makes room and creates life there. But if there's not true love, you'll find that you'll have to do all these rules and the one will have to keep his part and the other one will have to keep their part. But if true love comes and really is in the heart, you will just find that things fixes itself. Now, that's how it seems, but it's actually God fixing it. So when it comes to self-imposed religion, your willpower doesn't have the power to end what is destroying your life. <clears throat> Colossians 2 verse 6 reads as follows. It says, And you have therefore, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now, <clears throat> a little bit technical, but this is what he says. He says, as you have therefore received Christ the Lord. Now the question is, how have they received the Lord? How have they received the Lord? What he's actually saying to them is, stick to the doctrine you heard that I preached to you when you received Jesus. That is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, stick to the doctrine that I've preached to you when you received Jesus. And you know what the Apostle Paul preached? 
Go through the book of Acts. Go to Acts 17, Acts 13, different places. He all the time taught the resurrection. He taught Jesus died and then he was raised and so he conquered death and he will return to the earth to judge the quick and the dead. Let us believe in him and so have eternal life. That was the gospel that the Apostle Paul preached. And he preached that to Jew and Gentile. He preached the law is ended. There's no more Jew. There's no more Gentile. Christ has conquered the sin and the death of all people. Just believe upon him. He will manifest his victory in your heart. And as he manifests his victory in your heart, the end and the last thing that he will conquer is your physical death even. And that is how he will cease sin uh, he will cause sin to cease to exist in your life. He will cause victory to be yours. He will cause abundance of life to come forth in you and eventually crown your life with eternal life in human form. That is what he says. <clears throat> so when, when Paul says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. In other words, what he says is, don't receive this wonderful message of the resurrection. Then you start to walk away from it. Because what the Apostle Paul is addressing in Colossians here is Greek philosophers that came in and preached dualism, which was a system wherein they taught an eternal evil and an eternal good and how these will dualistically exist forever. And it also taught that how the human body is actually of no worth and that you need to beat your body. You actually need to uh, deprive your body through willpower and you need a cause your body to suffer, and as you do that, you make your spirit become more spiritual and more holy, and as you do that, you can move on to the never, next level and um, heaven and all those kind of things. That is what was taught. But the Apostle Paul didn't teach that. The Apostle Paul was not into that. The Apostle Paul didn't teach the redemption from the human body. He taught the redemption of the human body. And when he taught the redemption of the human body, those who believed that found that their bodies started to be redeemed from, and they started to see the salvation from sin in the flesh. That's what he talks about. So a problem that I have with religion is that religion is too weak to save people. Religion cannot give people peace. Religion, self-imposed religion, cannot, doesn't have the power to bring life to you. It doesn't have the power to have a successful church in the earth. It doesn't have that. It doesn't have that. You know, we've, <clears throat> I've had a lot of, um, you know, church politics and those kind of things, just like many people have. But I want to say this. As this message of grace flooded my heart, I found that those things just falls off and they're not there anymore. You find peace, you find joy, you find comfort. And the only discomfort there is, is when you are faced again with self-imposed religion, <clears throat> where you will think that if I reach this goal, or if I reach that goal, then God, you know, then I will have peace. Earlier this week I've uploaded a message where I spoke about someone who won the lottery seven times. I imagine somebody winning the lottery seven times. You know that it's just like religion. There's something wrong with the lottery. Because that shows you that the lottery cannot give people peace. The lottery cannot make you content. Because if, even if you've won it six times, you will want to win it the seventh time because it cannot make you content. Because at the end of the day, on the other side of the breakthrough, you're still stuck with yourself. The way you feel now, before you've got money or before you've got the breakthrough, I want to tell you, after your breakthrough, you will feel exactly the same. Unless there can be joy now, there will never be joy. <clears throat> God did not come to save us through circumstances. He came to save us. He, <clears throat> he came to save us and give us peace right there where we are. And then our circumstances can change. But if I'm happy now and I'm happy in a old, beaten-up car, that means when I get a nice one, I will also be happy in the nice one. But if I'm sad in the old one, I want to tell you the new one is not going to make you happy. And so many times what religion does is it puts something in front of you 
that you feel that if I can attain unto that, and then it will give you the steps on how to get there, and as you follow these steps, you think that once you reach that place, you're then going to be truly happy and truly satisfied. And I'll tell you, that is not true. That is not true. And this is what happened to the church in Colossa. Paul came and he said to them, I want you to stick to the gospel you got from the beginning. And I want you, as you were established in this simple faith of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, where in his death your sin died and the power of sin in the flesh died and where he was raised and that his resurrection is your resurrection. And as you can believe in the Father that quickens all things by his Holy Spirit, he shall quicken your life and bring forth holiness in your life and eventually give you and manifest your sonship in immortal human flesh. That is the simple gospel. And these people were establishing that. But then there came people, in verse 8 it says here, Beware lest man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. So what happens is, what he was teaching is he was saying to them, Listen guys, you've learned that the gospel is this. Christ took away your sin. He takes away your death, he brings holiness, he brings righteousness, and he will raise you up in the last day, bringing immortality to you, giving you a seat with him in the Godhead. Just believe him. That's it. But then we found that men came and spoiled them. <clears throat> they came with philosophy. They came with certain philosophies. And I see that so many times, even today. We've got the philosophies of spirit, soul, and body, and all these kind of things where we don't stick to the sim simplistic gospel, the simple good news. Jesus conquered sin, and he conquered death, and he came to give me eternal life, and will make all things new on the earth. And I want to stick to that simple gospel. And since we're not sticking to the simple gospel, we come with different philosophies, and vain deceit, and the traditions of men, and the rudiments, or basic principles, or the laws of this world, the laws of this world, he was also talking about Judaism right there. <clears throat> he says, don't let people spoil you through that. That spoil is not like you, you know, like uh, we would say a spoiled child in the sense of, you know, you've treated him well. You know, that word spoiled means literally what it means, to spoil, to destroy. Don't be destroyed. Don't spoil the broth by putting a handful of salt in it. You know, so don't have your life spoiled through philosophy and vain deceit. Now, what the philosophy is talking about here, I know there's such a thing as philosophy, and it can be very beautiful if we look at philosophy in the lines of uh, Christianity. <clears throat> but the philosophy they're talking about here was Greek philosophy. Greek philosophy, what Plato taught, what Socrates taught, what those people said, they said that the human body... It's just like something you have for a while and then when you die, your spirit moves on and there is actually this body is what you get saved from and you will have a release from the body and you'll be in a better place because you've left the bad place which is your body. And that was not what the Apostle Paul taught. The Apostle Paul didn't teach that we will be saved from our evil bodies. The Apostle Paul taught that our bodies is holy and the very temple of God which was completely contrary to the philosophies of that time. <clears throat> now, the problem that there is, and this is the way the Apostle Paul saw it, is that in our flesh is sin. In other words, our flesh, our human bodies, are at this moment in time missing out on, on the very life of God. And what I mean by that is that our human bodies at this point in time is not immortal. It is dying. Now, if we take that dying body and we try to follow principles by that dying body and make us live forever, we will find that our body just cannot do that. Yet God comes through the Apostle Paul and he assures us that that inability we have is not an issue to him, but that he has come to give fullness to all of us and that we should not look at ourselves according to our ability and discredit ourselves and 
tell ourselves that we are not good enough, that we cannot be loved, that we will never make it because of our inabilities. Because if we look at the inability of the flesh and we don't see a salvation plan of the flesh, we will get to a place where we hate our own bodies. And we will, like I've put on that um, intro picture of this program on YouTube, you will find it, where I, where I said, what's wrong with me? You will say, what's wrong with me? What is wrong with me? What's wrong with man is this. Man, and if you want to call it wrong, it's not actually wrong, but if you want to ask what's wrong with you is, this is it. What's wrong with you is you are trying to use something that has never been designed to create eternal life, which is human ability, to create and preserve your life forever. That is what's wrong. That is what's wrong. He comes here, he says, Beware lest man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, through the traditions of men, of the basic principles of the world, and not of the Christ. You see, what happens is we start with Christianity, and then when we look at different areas of our life, we don't want to apply the basic gospel. But we want to apply deeper knowledge. That's Gnosticism. <clears throat> Let's get back to money. I, I like to use the money thing. It's such an easy thing. God comes, he tells you, I will save you from your sin. I will even save you from death. And that's how I will care for you. You just trust me. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into bonds. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. And then we get very clever. And we start to come with philosophies like, <clears throat> you know, there's something like seed time and harvest time. And we come with different kinds of philosophies and we come with sowing and reaping and how we ac access the different dimensions and how we, certain people have got a deeper knowledge and that's how they know, that's why they know how to operate in these financial principles and all those kind of things. Hey my friend, watch out lest you be spoiled. Watch out lest you be spoiled. And because that logic is not after Christ. If we look at finances, for instance, after Christ, this is it. <clears throat> our God says He's our Father, and our Father will care for us, and He gives us contentment and peace, and He provides for us, and let us live a simple life. And let us wait for the Lord, and in that waiting for the Lord, rely upon Him, and His Spirit will bring forth the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, and we live that life. And in that simplicity, I believe the Lord gives us wisdom and knowledge on how to deal with every situation. And I think that is the best way when we can ever live a prosperous life in this world. Simply according to Christ. It is where the answer to your problem is not according to the finished work of Jesus, but something that we want to add on, on top of the finished work of Jesus. Now it goes on here. He says, <clears throat> remember what I said, man found that there's an inability in his body. Now, the Greek philosophers came and they said, listen, you need to beat your body. You need to <coughs> deprive your body. Your body is evil. The spirit is good. But listen to what Paul says here. He says, let no man spoil you through vain philosophy. Verse 9, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him. That word complete there is, you have this fullness <laughs> in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. So what the Apostle Paul comes and what he's saying is, Jesus is above sin, Jesus is above death, and the fullness of God indwells a human body, so you don't have to think that you can only experience the fullness of God once you depart from your human body. What he is saying is that God, the God that quickens all things, shall, the God that quickens all things, quickened Jesus, put him at the right hand of the Father, and let us just simply continue to believe in him and rely upon him. For the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus bodily, and you have that fullness. You might say badly, but I, yet, I, I don't see that yet. Just wait. Just wait. Just be patient. Yeah, but Bertie, what if I even live and die then? 
It's like the one guy, uh, Lecrae, sings the song, uh, I'm a saint, and one of the words in the song, it's a rap song, he says, <clears throat> some believe they can fly, but I believe I can die, raise again, r rise again, and forever live with God. I mean, it's one thing to say that you can, I believe I can fly, that's nice. You know, you might somehow, in human willpower, get that right. But to say that you can die, and 5,000 years from now, raise, be raised from the dead and forever live with God. I mean, that's great faith. So here, I want to say to you, let's walk in the faith of Jesus Christ by the operation of God, when He raised Christ from the dead, when we don't see ourselves in any form lacking, where we see ourselves like Christ is seen. He said, the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus bodily, so don't come with a teaching, don't come with teachings like I read in verse 23 there, which is in self-imposed religion of man's wisdom, false humility, severity against the body, but not that doesn't have any value against the indulgence of the flesh. The only thing that can save your body from the power of sin is the resurrection power of Christ. And the only way you can have that manifest in you or have access to that is by simply believing that the resurrected body of Jesus and what He accomplished includes you. As you believe that, the truth has entered your heart. And that truth will set you free from what? From the fruit of the flesh. <laughs> Isn't that absolutely awesome? Let us read a bit more. Um, I want to go to verse, let's read from verse uh, 11. <clears throat> this is it. Or verse 10 again. And you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power in whom also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What is the body of the sins of the flesh? In what body does that take place? You know, we've, in a school you will have a governing body. In the very same way as what a school would have a governing body, and that body decides what happens in the school, and that body appoints the headmaster, that body appoints the teachers, that body appoints everything. In the very same way, Paul comes and he uses that language and talks about the body of sin or the rulership or that which would dictate sin to us. What is that? It is the law. It is the law. How does the law system work? It is you see the commandment and by your own willpower you want to do it and so preserve your life. He says here, in whom you are circumcised, with a circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, they would circumcise a man in his foreskin, and what that would mean is, that would mean it is a cutting away of the flesh. It would be a cutting away of the flesh. So how will we cut away the fleshly system wherein we find sin and death in us? Through the circumcision of Christ. That means when Christ was cut off, when Christ died, when Christ's uh, life ended, that he was that foreskin that was cut off. And in his death, he's cut away our flesh. He's cut away and destroyed the power of the flesh. That's how he fulfilled the circumcision. It was flesh that had to be cut away. That cut away means to die. Jesus died. He was that, that which had to be cut away. And here it says clearly that in whom you also are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. How? By the circumcision of Christ. Glory to God. Buried with him in baptism. So what did he do? He's cut our old lives off. He's cut the life off where the life of religion, the religious life, is cut it away. The human willpower life is cut it away. It has died forevermore. So that the only way we can have life now is by what the, Paul calls the operation of God. In my words, the way God operates. 
The way God operates is, I take dust and I give it life. The way God operates is, He takes you and He gives you life. How? By Him breathing the breath of life into you. This morning I also said to the people, I said, Jesus is called the Savior, for He shall save His people from their sin. So whose job is it to save you from sin? Is it your job? We think that Jesus came to make us savable. No, he didn't come to make us redeemable or savable. He didn't come to wash us clean so that God can save us because now he's washed us clean and because he's washed us clean and then he gives the Holy Spirit, now we can live a holy enough life so that God can look at us and say, well, you're holy enough now by the doing of Jesus and because you're holy enough now, then now you're qualified to be saved and to have eternal life. That's not what he's done. What he has done is we have already been savable. The only thing he's come to do is to save us from what destroys us. So whose responsibility is it to end sin in your life? It is God's responsibility. It is the responsibility of the Savior. The last thing a person needs that's drowning in an ocean is swimming lessons. He doesn't need swimming lessons. He doesn't need any of that. He needs a Savior. The last thing that somebody that's drowning in the ocean needs is guilt about what is done yesterday. The guy is dying and he needs help right now. And that is how God looks at us. He's come to redeem us. He's come to save us. And what he's come to do is he's come to save us from the body of sin. And the body of sin is that human willpower to try and preserve your life by your own works through laws and regulations and also philosophies. Because you know some folk realize that in their life they're never going to live holy enough. So what they then basically said is this body is evil. So all we're going to do is we're just going to pass on to a better place. And that's it. I want to tell you our God is not so poor that he cannot save our bodies I put on Facebook <clears throat> uh, uh, I think it was last week or the week before that when talk about different religions and this is really a big thing to me if, if I do religion shopping if you want to call it like that and I look at Islam for instance then I'm going to look at Islam and I'm going to see what they say and what they offer me is not good enough for me because their package is a package wherein you will live on this earth, you need to obey a God, and if you obey this God and you do everything He says, and you die, then He will raise you again. And then He will, in that resurrection, bring forth your past before Him and everything you've done, and then He'll judge you by your works. And if you've done good, then He will give you a life. Then you can live. If you don't, then you will keep that body alive and then he will torture you in hell forever. That's what Islam believes. Go and study it out for yourself. That's what they believe. Now, when I look at that, if you want to sell me that, I'm going to tell you, well, I don't know if I can do everything right for the rest of my life. And you want to tell me, yes, but Allah is also merciful. And I want to say, but how merciful? At the end of the day, you will find that in Islam, there is no surety of salvation. There's no surety of salvation. You don't really know if you're going to make it. And sadly, that's what happened in Christianity because we've just had a little bit of a different uh, uh, flavor of legalism as what Islam has. You look at that. You look at Buddhism. Buddhism, what must you do? You must deprive your flesh. Deprive yourself. You know, that's why only in certain countries can women become monks but what these monks do is they cut themselves away from their families they, they're not supposed to have any desire they're not even supposed to have a desire to love their children no desire like the Dalai Lama you know he, he's got a desire to save uh, the countries of Tibet or wherever he wants to save that country that he is in and then they asked him a question is uh, 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 Rabbi Zacharias asked this, asked this question says is that his desire? Because Buddhists aren't allowed to have desires. And they said, no, let us rather say it's his choice. Because you're not allowed to have any desire. You must cut yourself away. At the end of the day, you must sit in the middle of the bush on a pole. Where 
we've got no, nobody around you. Now let me tell you something, you can't sell me that, I don't want that. I'm not interested in that. And I found a lot of Christians on us are becoming so open to Buddhism. Wake up. You don't know what Buddhism is. Buddhism is a, it's an atheistic way of enlightenment wherein you try to find life by your own works. cannot save you. You can go to Hinduism and all these different religions. You can look at all of that. Even Christianity mixed with law. I don't want that. It doesn't offer me something. What I want in a religion is this. I want a God because I know that I'm weak and I cannot save myself. I cannot preserve myself. I need somebody that can take my sin away for me. Then I want somebody that loves me holistically. In other words, he loves me spirit, soul and body. And that he would want to preserve all of that. So I want a religion, if you want to call it like that. I want a, a, a belief or a faith or a religion in the true sense of the word. Not in a man-made thing. I want a religion that can preserve my body. So if you come with your salvation plan, I want to see how this body in which I live is also valuable to the God that I serve. I also want to see how this God embraces this. I want to see how this God loves this body. And I want to see how He, by His power, can preserve this body, the soul and the spirit, forever, and I also want to at least see a God that's friendly, that wants to be with me, like Noah found grace in the eyes of God, the root meaning, one of the root meanings of the word grace is to, to pitch a tent, to want to live with, Noah looked into the eyes of God and he saw a being that wants to come and live with him, so if you cannot provide me a friendly, loving God, who can save me from my sin, who by his doing can make me holy, who can make me righteous, and who can preserve my life, who can conquer my sin and death for free because he loves me. I want to tell you he's not worthy of my worship. He's not worthy of my praises. I've only found one that is like that. And this passage here, and sadly, uh, there are some Christians that are now starting to teach that the resurrection is the moment you die. That's the resurrection and there's no bodily resurrection anymore. They are teaching that. They are teaching that. That is crazy. Uh, uh, well, let me put it this way. I don't want to insult anybody. I want to say that person is crazy. But that thought in the light of the physical resurrection of Jesus to me is crazy. Here he says, clearly he says, um, <clears throat> In verse 8, beware lest man spoil you through philosophies. It says in verse 9, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That is what takes place. For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Hallelujah. Do you see this wonderful, complete salvation where I don't have to come and I have to look at my body and look at it and say, oh man, you know, I just so wish I can one day be rid of this body. I can listen. If I look at my body, do I have weaknesses in my body? Yes. But I'm saying, thank God for the salvation of this body. Glory to God. Amen. Let, let no man therefore judge you in meat, and I'm ending off with this, or in drink, or in respect of a holy day, of a new moon, or of Sabbath days, which are a shadow of the things to come. But the body, or the truth, is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility or the worshipping of angels, introducing into things which they have not seen, vainly puffed up by their fleshly mind, and not holding to the head, from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increased with the increase of God. That's a very powerful passage. You know, when you start to believe that in the when you start to believe that Jesus in bodily form is seated at the right hand of God and that the fullness of God indwells him bodily and that you salvation is defined in is defined as your you being saved bodily where you as a human being is saved from death when you start to believe that then you are holding to the head, Christ, 
and then from him flows nourishment to you, to all those that believe upon him. And what does that nourishment do? It makes you increase with the very increase of God. That means that as you believe in this bodily resurrection, as you believe that Jesus conquered sin in the flesh, as you believe that he physically conquered death, that the end goal is a resurrection from the dead. Like Jesus prayed in Hebrews, I think it's 2.13. It says that he prayed with loud prayers to God who was able to save him from death. So what did Jesus need to be saved from? Death. So what is that? So what is the definition of salvation? To be saved from death. How are we saved from death? In the resurrection. When we believe this, we are now holding to the head and from this head is flowing nourishment into us, not after we've died, but now. And we find nourishment today. That nourishment is called love, joy, peace, kindness, the gifts of the Spirit, generosity and all those things. Glory to God. <laughs> that is what he's saying here. So I want to say to you, let us hold to the head and let us not be puffed up by those who go and, you know, you find so many folks that say, you know, I've seen these angels and I've seen heaven, I've seen hell, I've seen this and they come with their theories based on that. Listen, my friend, let people see what they see and if you hear what they see, think of it and whatever. And whatever can, be, can confirm the simplistic gospel. Believe that. But whatsoever sounds as if it's now going to dump you into laws and rules and regulations and into uh, vain deceit and going to dump you into Greek philosophies of, and all those kind of things. Listen, my friend. What Paul says here, they are vainly puffed up by their fleshly mind. What they're saying is they're vainly puffed up by the thoughts that come through self-preservation, through human willpower and Greek philosophies mixed in with legalism and law and who, who knows what uh, can be in there. Not holding to the head from which all the body, joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increase with the increase of God. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the basic laws of this world, why are you living as if you are worldly and you are subject to ordinances like touch not, handle not, and all those things. It says these are the commandments and doctrines of men. It says, and then in verse 23, it's got no value against the indulgence of the flesh. I want to say to you, what's wrong with religion? It cannot save. What's wrong with religion? It cannot save. And will leave you to the point where you always ask, what's wrong with me? I want to tell you there's nothing wrong with you as a person. You've qualified for salvation. God loves you. God cares for you. And his hands are stretched out towards you. He's embraced you. He's taken, he's taken what destroys you and he has destroyed it. And since you are a being that operates through faith <coughs> or through, through your relational orientated being, you, you operate through him persuading your heart. Since you're that kind of person, he wants to persuade your heart and so through that persuasion you will have access to him, to that conquering power. And as you believe in the simplistic gospel, the simple gospel, you will find that nourishment comes to you. I tell you, I've been nourished in so many areas of my life by holding to the simple truth, to the incarnation, death and resurrection. That's it. Nothing more. Just that simple gospel. I apply that to my marriage. I apply that to my finances. I apply that to my children in the university and school and friendship and building a church, if you want to, want to call it like that, running a ministry, whatever. I apply that simple principle. And that simple principle is this, that I don't have to build it. I don't have to make it. It's by the operation of God. He came and he died away my death. He died away my sinful man. So I'm not going to, through will worship, neglect of the body and all those kind of things, try and get rid of sin. I cannot get rid of sin by my own power. Listen, you cannot stop your sin. You cannot stop to sin. By your in, it, to stop to sin is a gift from God. To stop to sin is by the power of God. 
and is made available for whosoever that can believe that he's, he's, he died your death and he was raised up. And when we see this, all that we can do is we can say, God, your life is my life. And I see a man seated at the right hand of the God. And the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily. And since it is in him bodily, and I have a body, and a man is in the Godhead, and I am a man, that fullness belongs to me. And I lack nothing. I need no philosophy. I need no nothing to try and save me. This is the salvation message. He gives me now, by the Holy Spirit, the, the, the first fruit of the Spirit, which is God's quality of life, that starts to settle into me, and it nourishes my body. The fruit of the flesh starts to fall off my life. I start to see the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit manifests in me. The fruit of the flesh is gone, all by the doing of God, and in the end, immortality in a human body. Glory to God. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? I would like to pray for everybody that's watching. <clears throat> Father, I want to thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness and your mercy. I want to thank you that you've stretched forth your hands towards us and that you've just embraced us with such a wonderful embrace of life. You've come to give us eternal life. And thank you that we can see there's something big wrong with religion and that is that it cannot save us. But thank you that you, in relationship with us, have come, ended our sin, ended our death, and you've given us eternal life. Amen and amen. I want to thank you so much that you've watched this broadcast. Um, I trust that it's really blessed you, and I want to thank you for uh, being so kind and sharing this with your friends. Just, uh, you know, as you share it with them, I'm sure this will also bless them greatly because there are so many people that are caught up in um, in this religion that is destroying them. also want to thank everybody for their generosity and your faithful giving towards Dynamic Love Ministries. It's such a blessing that, um, that we can do this together and preach this gospel together in the name of Jesus. And just by a heart where there is no force, just freedom. Glory to God. Thank you so much, and I'll see you again next week. God bless.